I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be here sharing with you lessons I've learned, conversations I've had that will equip you to create new habits, challenge mindsets, and build relationships that will allow your family to thrive. The decline in children spending time outdoors engaging in unstructured play has become a growing concern in recent years. It's because it deprives children of the benefits associated with it, such as the development of problem-solving skills, creativity, and social interactions. Now, there are several contributing factors to this trend, and you probably already guessed one of them. It's the abundance of smartphones, tablets, and other electronic devices. But children also have packed schedules with school, homework, extracurricular activities, and organized sports. Today, I'm talking with Jenny Urich. She is a homeschooling mother of five and founder of A Thousand Hours Outside, a global movement designed to reclaim childhood and get kids outdoors. As a result of her 12-year journey and embracing the outside with her family, she has become a thought leader in the world of nature-based play and its benefits for children. In our conversation today, we talked about why structured play is so essential for a child's development, the connection between unstructured play and the development of problem-solving skills in children, and how boredom contributes to brain development and creativity. We also discuss how exposure to natural light benefits children and why encouraging social play among children will prepare them for relational success in the future. After this episode, I have no doubt that you'll want to get your kids outside to reap all of the benefits that nature has to offer. Welcome, Jenny. It is incredible to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so a question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? This is such an interesting question. So interesting to me that you ask it. And I, and I would imagine, like, do people know? Like, what? <laughs> I well, kind of feel like it's one of those questions that, like, maybe you don't know until your kids are grown or out of the house or, yeah. like, I could tell you what I what I hope that we're known for is being generous. That would be like my hope. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I think that we're probably known for getting people outside, encouraging mm-hmm. people to get outside and also homeschooling because we do that too. And I speak yeah. at conferences and the kids go with me around the country. So, but it's such an interesting question. Like, what are you known for when you're asking someone like when they're right in the middle of their life, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll just kind of remind, I'll tell you and I'll remind some of our listeners years ago when I started the podcast, this, this whole idea about creating family culture, like what is it that you want to be known for when companies and organizations put together their mission statement, they decide what it is that there's their mission and their vision. And what do they want to be known for as an organization? Is it customer service? Is it competitive pricing? Is it creativity? Right. And so that sort of became how I started looking at my family and I, I put it out there on Facebook because I was like, Oh, I wonder like, you know, so some of my guests will, will outsource the question to other people before they come on. And then some people kind of know it. And some people are like, Oh gosh, let me think about this. But the idea is living an intentional life. And then Mm -hmm. are we paying it out? Is it really showing up? Is that what people know us for? And so it was really fun for me to find out that some of the things that really were important to me, other people could see. And it's not about like getting the pat on the back. It's about, are we living according to our values? And and is that what we're bringing to the community Mm -hmm. and to the table, to our family, to our kids? 
And so that's been sort of a fun question that I love to ask and get to know people for. So, and then sometimes I'll say, and you can answer this question. If I were to come over your house, like surprise you and come over your house, like, what would I, what can I expect? Like, what's your, like, what kind of mess? (laughs) That's good. That's okay. But you know, I just, I'm into that. I'm like, you know, we want to have people over. We love to host and have people over. And Mm -hmm. I think that over the years of being a mom, you know, I think that as a parent, you have these ideals of things that you want to do and things you want to get to. And every day is this coming to terms with all the things that you don't get to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with having people over is that, you know, oh, like I wish, man, I wish everything were clean and it were spotless, but it's not. And so it's a constant coming to terms. I think that's partially why parenting is so humbling, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a good thing to be humble and and to not, you know, it's like you can't have it all together, mm-hmm. but you but you do things anyway. So just a good questions. Yeah. Interesting questions. Yeah. Well, I think a criteria for loving on people and hospitality and welcoming people in your home is not uh, a clean museum like atmosphere for sure. And mm-hmm. so I think that's great because I'm I'm betting that people feel really comfortable being in your house and being themselves and bringing their authentic selves to your home. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, yeah, that's what we're doing. So here's our authentic self. It's kind of a mess. And, you know, I think, you know, then people say over the years, they'll be like, it's kind of like a, a slam in disguise. They'll oh. say something like, you know, I felt better about myself because I came to your house and it was a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> You're like, well, I mean, it's like, is that a compliment? Yeah. Are you burning me? I can't really tell. It's a mix of both. I, but bet, I bet it's a compliment. <laughs> it allows people, yeah, I think to be themselves and to be okay with, you know, like I've never really struggled much with perfectionism. And I think that is a, a big struggle for a lot of people and. Mm-hmm. And really a hard one, you yeah. know, to put that on yourself. And so maybe it gives people a little insight into what imperfection mm-hmm. looks like and it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So before we talk about your new book, which I'm excited to talk about, let's talk a little bit about A Thousand Hours Outside and what mm-hmm. led you to start this movement. Yeah. So this is a story. This is a story that birthed out of me being an awful mother like really, really struggling. And I wasn't expecting to be an awful mother, Kimberly. I was like, I mean, I was like, I am on it. I was like, I have read some books and I like kids and this is, I'm going to do a great job. And so I came out of a career teaching, you know, I love the students. I love the parents. And, you know, I, I stopped working on a Friday, went to the hospital on a Monday to have our oldest. So, you know, just like a, this quick turnaround, which I think is the case for a lot of people when they have their first child. And, you know, it's like right from the beginning, it went down the tubes. Like, you know, I was like supposed to be in the birth center and the tub. And, you know, it's like, well, then I got to use the word disqualified, Kimberly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I had preeclampsia and I had to like catch my pee in a jug for a weekend. And then they had to measure some things. And, you know, it's like you you have this expectation. And then right off the bat, I was like, you know, just the ball is rolling away and And so I really was expecting to like do a schedule with our son and he just like wouldn't do the schedule. Like he wouldn't sleep and he just went to nurse all the time. And so I really struggled like, like from day one Mm -hmm. with like, what do we do? What are we, what are we supposed to be doing all day? And then we had a couple of kids right in a row. And, but even just from the very first one, the one kid, I was like, just overwhelmed. And I felt like I went from a spot in my life where I was doing things that I was pretty good at. 
you know, you, that's what you do with your life, right? Like you, you find the things that you're good at and then you do that Mm -hmm. and then you become a parent and you're like, well, I'm, I'm not good at this, but I've got no other choice. You can't divert. So I spent a couple years in a really dark spot because I was so bummed. Like I, I wanted to love it. I wanted to love being a mom. I loved our kids, but like every single day, it's just the crying and the exhaustion and this long, expansive time. And so I enrolled in all sorts of programs because I mean, what else do you do to pass is like eight, nine, 10 hours. You know, if, you know, if you're married, you got a spouse there, they got to commute to work. Like you've got this long period of time. And those things were so exhausting, you know, like it's so exhausting to take a child to a program because like you have to pack all the stuff and you got to get there and it's always transition. And, you know, then they don't really, I think a lot of times they don't really want to be there. And so you're trying Mm -hmm. to get them to do the activities and maybe you've got a baby that you're nursing and it's just this whole thing. It's this whole rigmarole. And then it's only like 11 a.m. That's how I would feel. (laughs) Like we haven't even gone to lunch yet. And I had kids that wouldn't really nap well. It was just kind of a mess. But my whole life changed in one day. In one day, I went from drowning, drowning. I don't even want to make up. I just, this is never ending. It doesn't end on the weekends. It doesn't end ever to really thriving as a parent. And, And what changed was this concept of spending extended time in nature. And it wasn't even anything that I uncovered. I didn't find out about it. I had a friend who did. And she told me she we did MOPS, uh, which is the Mothers of Preschoolers, which I think they recently changed their name. But we would meet twice a month, I think, at our local church, and there would be a kids program. And my kids would never see in the kids program. I always had my ba- crying babies. But, you know, this this friend came and she said to me, it was like, I don't know. She'd been researching some stuff about learning and schooling. And she said, Charlotte Mason says that kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I, I remember thinking that's ridiculous. Who goes outside? What, what, four to six hours a day? Like who would do that? And what would the kids do? Like, you know, have you tried to do crafts with kids? Like they only last 15 minutes. There's no way. What, this would be awful. And then she says, but I was just thinking that, you know, I was like, oh, whatever. And then she's like, well, we should try it. And I'm thinking like, no, we should not try it. You know, I'm like, have you been to the library program? It's 45 minutes and all my kids are crying. I'm having to like shovel them snacks and it's not going well. And this is like five times longer. But, you know, when you're a young mom, you got these little kids, like you're so desperate for friendships too. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And so this was in September of 2011. This is the day that changed my life. It's been 12 years and it was the fall. We're in Michigan, so it's beautiful. And I agreed against my better judgment is what I thought to meet this friend at a park, not a playground, no play structure, just like the grass and to come at nine in the morning and shoot to stay till one in the afternoon. And she's like, don't bring anything, like bring your lunch, bring a picnic blanket. That's it. And I'm like, well, no, like we need other stuff, you know, like we need crafts for making bracelets and we're going to need, you know, some homemade Play-Doh and I'll bring my bag of library books. We're going to need some balls and some cones and a baseball bat. I mean, we're like, we're going to need stuff. And she said, no, like, don't bring anything. I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. So But lo and behold, I tell people that it was the best day of my life because after three years, 
it was the first good day I had as a mom. The very first one, I'd never had a good day up until that point. I had struggled and struggled and struggled. And here we go to this park that just had grass and a shallow creek that ran through. And I sat on a picnic blanket under the warm fall sun and listened to the sounds of nature and had a conversation with a friend while we held our babies and her older two kids and my older two kids just played. And I really, Kimberly, had no idea that they could do that. They played without toys. They played without adult direction. They would come back and forth and get food when they were hungry. And I, truth be told, am not even totally sure what they did, but they kept themselves occupied in this beautiful space. And then at one o'clock, we packed it up. It wasn't much because we hadn't brought much. We packed it up to go home and then they all fell asleep. Oh, my goodness. A miracle. <laughs> At the same time. It is a miracle. <laughs> that is a miracle. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, it was like this open door, this like tap on the shoulder of hope. Like, hey, hey, you can do this. And actually, mm-hmm. hey, you can really enjoy it. Yeah. And so what happened that day was that I found a path toward a better existence as a parent. So, you know, this is a place for me to find respite, to be more present, to be able to exhale. You know, all that stress builds up with kids and you're able to sort of let it go for a time being. Mm -hmm. But very quickly, I started to notice that our kids were thriving. It was like all of a sudden, they're eating better, they're sleeping better, no one's getting sick, they're getting along better, they're playing more creatively, they're able to do more things with their bodies. It's like, look at me, mom, I'm doing this. And so the past decade plus for me has been this journey of learning that when we take our kids outside and we don't have to direct anything, the pressure is off. You don't have to create a scavenger hunt. You can, but you don't have to. That kids develop in every facet of their development. Mm -hmm. From their cognition to their eyesight to their social skills to their emotional well-being. And it helps us too as a parent. So that's where it started. The numbers got woven in over time based off of Charlotte Mason, which was four to six hours whenever the weather is tolerable. So that's a nice caveat. Mm -hmm. Whether you live in hot summers or, or cold winters, it's like, you know, Tolerable weather is key. Angela Hanscom is a pediatric occupational therapist with a phenomenal book called Balanced and Barefoot, where she recommends three hours minimum as the ideal for kids of all ages, even through high school, should be getting outdoors to play freely. And then, you know, screen time at the time in 2011, it was, you know, 1,200 hours a year that kids were on screens. But they were only outside for four to seven minutes a day. Wow. So it's like four yeah. to seven hours versus four to seven minutes, this big imbalance. So it's kind of like this confluence of those things where we had this experience of if you are intentional, mm-hmm. if you have purpose, and you talk about parenting with purpose and passion, if you weave that into your purpose of saying, look, we are really going to be intentional about making sure that our kids' childhoods are is balanced between real life and virtual life. Mm-hmm. then this is going to solve a lot of modern day parenting problems. And also mm-hmm. it's going to make our lives better and their lives better, both in the short term and the long term. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that story. I mean, it's it's stories like those that help us to reset and start to understand that that default setting is not where we thrive. And just doing what comes easy and natural and like with the screens, things that are always satisfying us, things that are always in our face, things that are that that's not how we live this path of 
yeah, where you thrive and have purpose and connection for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then now you've written this book. It's called Under Until the Streetlights Come On, How to Return to Play. Brightens our present. Oh, I'm reading this awfully wrong here. Until the streetlights come on, how a return to play brightens our present and prepares kids for an uncertain future. And why I love the title of this book, because my mom was like, come home when the streetlights were on. I mean, that was how we knew home, knew what time to come home every day. And I haven't met a single person that had the same role. That was felt so like growing up, that was so unique to my family. And so when I saw the title of this book, I was like, oh yes, that feels like home, you know? So, mm-hmm. so talk to us more about what prompted you to write the book and what you're sharing with readers in it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I think how childhood used to be that kids had quite a bit of freedom and there was just this overarching principle of, you know, come home at a certain time, maybe it's dinner time, or maybe it's, you know, as it starts to get dusk or when the streetlights come on. And we have really walked away from that as a culture and as, as an overarching society and well-intentioned, I think, well-intentioned a pursuit of things that are going to get kids ready for college and this program and that program. I, mean, I think everyone's trying to do the best they can for their kid. But what I have learned over the past 10 years is that this is like maybe a march in the wrong direction, at least partially, because we are trying to prepare our kids for a world that is changing quick. We used to have people that would graduate from college at 22 and have a career till they were 55 and they work for the same company and they work up the ladder and they'd retire and they have the same coworkers and the same basic skill set. You know, maybe it would adjust some and but it would adjust slowly. And so what we have now for our children is they're popping into a world where the average young adult will have four different careers in the first decade of their adulthood, four on average. So some are going to have more and they're going to have different coworkers and different things and skill sets become obsolete more quickly. And so we have a different world that we're preparing our kids for, which is exciting. Change is exciting. But the cool thing is that the way that you prepare a child for something that you don't know, a job that doesn't even exist yet, is you prepare them through play. You prepare them through what makes today better. Like who doesn't want to have a better today? Like a really good, thriving, fulfilling, filled today that also prepares our kids for tomorrow. And I think so often we sacrifice today. Like, oh, we got to do all these math problems. We got to do all this. Everyone's crying. We're fighting over this schoolwork. We're fighting over the screen time. We're fighting over, you know, this class and the kid's tired and we're putting them in X, Y, and Z because we're trying to prepare them for tomorrow. But really, really, we can have an enjoyable today. We can play. We can play games. We can give our kids time to be and to discover themselves. And for the world that we're living in, that is what's going to take them to where they need to be. So this is a message of hope that we can do less and gain more, you know, because who wants to do one more thing? We already have too much to do, but we can actually pull back. And in doing so, we're not shortchanging our kids. In fact, we are giving them the skills necessary for an unknown world. So grit, resilience, creativity, innovation, love of life, love for learning, fantastic social skills, right? All of these things are happening because we're living in a three-dimensional world. We're enjoying each other's presence. We get a little bit of time for an exhale. And this day takes care of itself in order to prepare our kids for tomorrow. Yeah, I think what stood out to me was when you said skill sets 
will become obsolete. And I have certainly found that in my journey and the work that I do and the side hustles that I have, it's because I was taught, I wasn't even taught. Like I probably, cause I played a lot. Like it was like, get out of the house, come back at night. But this idea of play and problem solving, like I, I, one of my biggest values is being a problem solver and then teaching my kids, well, how do you solve this problem? I mean, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of things that held me back early on with my career was that I just was like, I'm good at be what being told what to do and I'll do what you tell me, but I never took the next step to make the project better or to solve a problem because I thought, well, I'm just supposed to listen. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, it took me a really long time to become that kind of problem solver, or at least apply my love of problem solving um, with math and puzzles and, and to the work that I did. Right. And so I think that that is a really valuable asset to have that ability to be resilient, to problem solve, to keep going. And you do get that through play. You don't get that through scheduled play dates and itineraries and yeah. calendars that are so full that your kids have no choices and no agency. And, and I've done that in certain seasons. So this isn't a criticism. I certainly have a color coded calendar, <laughs> but yeah, that bringing, bringing everything into balance, I think is so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we're all pretty good at being knowing what to do when we're told what to do. And yeah. the, the tricky part is, what do you do when no one tells you? Yeah. And I think that's the hard part of childhood when the whole thing is adult directed. Mm-hmm. When the whole thing is adult directed and then all of a sudden you're out on your own and you've got to figure it out. I mean, Kim John Payne, who wrote the book Simplicity Parenting, says that by 2030, uh, which is not that far away, that it's something like 75%. I get the numbers wrong, but Someone says that 85% of the jobs have not been created yet. And then I think 75% of the jobs will be had by entrepreneurs or people who are, like you said, have side hustles. Mm-hmm. Like you've got your hands in a bunch of different pots. Yeah. And so if we have a whole childhood where, you know, you're you're told this, that, next, and then on to the next thing, well, it's like, you, how do you structure it then? And so mm-hmm. that self-structured play, those sort of open spaces in the calendar, though they seem frivolous and seem like a waste on the surface are really imperative, I think, for mm-hmm. kids heading into a world where they're not going to know, no one else, people aren't going to be able to tell you what to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about boredom. I mean, we're we're hitting on all these topics, all these questions I have for you anyways, just because of the very essence of the, the topic, but boredom is seen as a negative thing, but it has a lot of value in our lives. Cause let's, so let's talk a little bit about more about boredom and how it contributes to our brain development and creativity. Well, I think it's an interesting thing that you said it's seen as a negative thing. It sure is, but it's not a negative thing. And so that's Mm -hmm. an interesting thing. I read in certain books where they say, you know, if your kids are bored, well, one book said it's a book called, it's by Luis Fernando Yosa. It's called Beyond Winning. Mm -hmm. And he says, he has a statement there that says, if your kids are bored, you have not failed. I was like, this is a great sentence, right? right? Like, but we do, we feel like we're failing and we should be filling the time with these enriching experiences. And when our kids are bored as well, it's annoying because they're whiny. <laughs> I'm bored. I can't figure out what to do. And it kind of like grates on your nerves a yeah. little bit. But boredom really is a fantastic thing because this is where they learn how to come up with something out of nothing. This is also where they learn how to be resilient, how to enjoy being with themselves. This is how they learn to 
uh, find what makes them tick. Like, what do I really mm-hmm. like to do? What lights me up? And if they're bored in a spot where there's a bunch of kids around, this is also where they're starting to learn their social skills. So, you know, when the adults don't step in and there's just this open-ended time and space and maybe not a lot of materials, like nature doesn't provide you with this Barbie and that car and this dump truck. I mean, it, you know, you've got grass and sticks and pine cones. And so, you know, kids are coming up with grand schemes of things based all out of their imagination. And so there's really cool studies about how kids come into the world as creative geniuses. NASA had this whole test for adults. Like they were trying to find the most creative people in their company in NASA to like have them put on the most challenging problems and and work Mm -hmm. situations. And so they give out this test and it's like, I don't know, like 2% of the people at NASA can, you know, are like in this genius category. Well, then they give it to kindergartners, same test, same test. And it's like almost every single kindergartner is this creative genius qualifies. And, and over time, you know, you see that really drop off because, you know, we're not mm-hmm. honoring the fact that they already come into the world as innovative and creative yeah. and curious and that they really can structure their time in worthwhile ways in within certain parameters, right? Like, you know, obviously if they're playing a video game, that's not necessarily a worthwhile way, but you know, if they're outdoors and they're trying to figure out what to do. So those social settings, those lead toward all sorts of skills, negotiation, compromise, you know, what's too bossy? Like, when have I gone Mm -hmm. too far? And I've pushed the playmate away. And now the playmate wants to quit. And I've got to entice them back in all of those situations where there's just nothing. There's a space of nothing. It is providing our kids with skills. And these are skills that the researchers say are lifelong. These are things that span the gamut. They last a long time. Even the movements that kids do when they're bored. So we've got a kid that, especially outside, there's open space. You know, they start to do crazy things, right? Like they're rolling down the hills. They're doing things that adults wouldn't do. Right. But all of that movement is helping to structure their brains, all their their neural wiring in the brain, all the connections, the connections get faster, that piece down the center, the corpus callosum that connects the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere, that the connections grow best through unstructured imaginative play. So all this stuff, man, you you got that foundation there for a lifetime Mm -hmm. when you give your kids the gift of boredom. Yeah. It's so good. You know, like you mentioned being okay with being by themselves or just being with themselves. And I think that's so important because I know as a young adult, more so as like a young mom, like I've really struggled with having empty spaces, meaning that I was incredibly uncomfortable with not getting something done and not performing and not showing up. And I really, I was working after working Mm. with a life coach that she was like, well, when do you schedule rest? And when do you schedule the things you enjoy? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, I don't get to do the things I enjoy. And that really started me on, okay, so I'm going to start taking an hour on Saturday mornings to go for a walk. I signed up for a tennis class. Like I, I really became Mm. intentional about how to enjoy myself and that was hard to do for a long time. Wow. And so I, I think that it's it's the anecdote to that performance orientation and that need to perform and show up. And so I love helping kids become comfortable 
with not always performing. I mean, because and I think about like what you said about colleges and I have two older in college and I have a junior in high school and it's like, all right, are you in a club? Are you in this? Or did you doing this? And and just I'm sure they feel that constant need to show up as well when we don't provide spaces of boredom for them. Yeah. And I think we could teach along the way that it's, I mean, we say, I learned from love and logic, parenting with love and logic, and there's Mm -hmm. a teaching with love and logic. I use that when I used to be a teacher, Mm -hmm. but that you just diffuse statements by, by sounding like a broken record. So you just say the same thing over and over again, devoid of emotion, because it can get grating on you. Like I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. So I would just say things like, it's okay to be bored. Yeah. It's okay to be bored or I trust you'll find something to do. Oh, and good. you just say the same thing over and over again. And then they then they get bored with that. They don't want yeah. to hear you say the same thing <laughs> over and over again. So then they do. They go find something to do or you just offer like some chores. Like, well, I've got a bunch of chores. That's great that you're bored. <laughs> I need help. I need some help with this, that, or the other thing. And, and they find they find something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that saying, oh, well, I, you want to do this? They're like, no. They disappear. That's it. They, they're <laughs> yeah. done telling me they're bored. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the value of sunlight. Okay. Just this exposure to nature and natural light. How does it benefit us? Oh, so many ways. This is actually something I've learned in the past couple of years that I didn't know about. I've learned it since 2020. So just in the past mm-hmm. couple of years, we talk about all the benefits of getting kids outside, their cognition and, you know, their skeletal systems, but mm-hmm. just the exposure to full spectrum sunlight. And I think this is a cool thing because people ask a lot, Kimberly, they'll say, well, what counts as outside time? Like, what if my kid is in a stroller? Does that count as outside time? What if we're reading a book in a hammock? Does that count? And and <laughs> I say, and what about organized sports? What about organized right. sports outside? And I say, well, it all counts because in every one of those situations, you're exposed to full spectrum light from mm-hmm. the sun. And that is very different than the lights that are inside of our home. So the mm-hmm. lights that are inside of our home and fluorescent lights, they don't have a full spectrum. They spike mm-hmm. at different colors. And that full spectrum light does things for our health and for our mood. So this would be an example. If you can get outside in the morning, 15 to 20 minutes, if you kids are in school, they could walk to school. If you're homeschooled, if you could you know, walk around the neighborhood mm-hmm. or just take you know your morning reading outside or something, 15 to 20 minutes. What happens is that sunlight, the morning light is a certain spectrum and certain colors are brighter of that spectrum. It goes right through your eyes to your brain and your brain releases serotonin and serotonin makes you feel good. So this Mm -hmm. is a great choice for mornings, especially mornings with kids. So the serotonin makes you feel good. And we have over a hundred, around a hundred, over a hundred, right around there, bodily systems that depend on the day and night cycle to function optimally. And so the indoor light, which is measured in lux, like one lux is one candle was worth of light. The indoor light is not bright enough to Mm -hmm. reset those systems. You can actually measure it. There's lux meters. And I think they might even have apps on the phone. It's something that photographers use a lot. So, you know, you're talking about inside indoor light, maybe it's 600, maybe it's 700. But if you go outside, even on a cloudy day, those numbers are jumping into the thousands. So what's happening is that light is resetting your body systems. It's helping your body release serotonin. And then what happens is you got that serotonin that's released. That naturally turns into melatonin at night. So Mm. everyone I think has had those experiences where you're out all day, 
you know, you're out in the fresh air and you, you know, it's so easy to fall asleep because you're exhausted, Mm -hmm. Mm kind of like how our kids can be sometimes. And so that's what's happening, you know, on a, on a body level is that that sunlight is really meant to be a guide for our bodies, for our hormones, for all of these different things. And it's just exposure. And that's why the pressure is off. That's why I always say like, you know, there's a lot of things that people do and that's, it's not a problem, but like you can, you can spend a lot of time putting effort into getting outside or you can just go. Mm -hmm. And whatever you do out there is helping you to be exposed to the surround sound of the birds and Mm -hmm. all of the light changes that happen throughout the day and the different sensory inputs through the tactile experiences. So there's enough value out there that you don't have to really direct anything. Yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot about sunlight and its benefits for our rhythms and waking up in the morning and getting that sunlight. I've been hearing a lot about that lately. It's been something that I've tried to incorporate into my life for sure. I recently started playing tennis the last couple months with some women two times a week at 7 so a.m. Cool. in the morning. Like, and it's been, and I was like, oh, like I'm in New Jersey, so it's getting cold. And I'm like, yeah. whose idea was this? But I have to tell you, it has been such a delight to just be out there. It's still a little quiet. You know, sometimes there's deer that go by the, the you know, we see the deer out there and just as the sun becomes brighter and brighter, it's it's up by the time we get out there. But there's just something about it that's just so invigorating. And I really yeah. come to love it. And now that we're wrapping up, I'm kind of like, really? Are you sure? because it's going to get way too cold too soon. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about social play. What, what is social play and give us some examples of activities that can encourage it and, and cooperation too. I mean, obviously get outside, be bored by yourself, but why is it important for, for kids to really, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but the interacting with each other. Well, the interacting with each other and also multi-age. And I think that outdoors really facilitates multi-age play because nature meets every child where they're at and every adult. I mean, you can have a newborn that loves looking at the rustling leaves of a tree and and a grandma that's 86 and still likes nature. So throughout the gamut of life, nature meets us in the spot that we're at. And so it really is great for, you know, you got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And Dr. Peter Gray talks a lot about multi-age play and the benefits of it in his book, Free to Learn. And he gives a really cool example of like, okay, let's say you have a four, two four-year-olds trying to play catch. Well, mm-hmm. that's a mess, right? Because neither one can throw and neither one can catch. And so it doesn't go very well. But if you had a nine-year-old and a four-year-old trying to play catch, well, then the nine-year-old gets a chance to work on her accuracy, right? Like so she's got to throw and she's got to be real accurate because that four-year-old is not very good at this game. And then right. the four-year-old, you know, when the, the four-year-old throws it back, then, you know, the nine-year-old's got to be really on her toes because it's not going to be an accurate throw. Well, then mm-hmm. the four-year-old also gets the benefit of someone older and the accuracy of that. So it's, mm. it's coming a little closer to them, or, you know, maybe they're a little more patient, or they think that little four-year-old is cute. And so and there was just this, this whole thing of when we go, when we play in multi-age ways and we play with other kids, that there are so many benefits to learning. And then also just to the social skills themselves of, of how do we negotiate and how do we compromise? And, you know, and, and so that can happen in an 
in a field where all you have is natural materials. That can happen in like a pickup game of sports, which those don't seem to happen anymore. But Mm -hmm. in pickup games of sports, they say kids don't really get injured because Mm -hmm. they control themselves because they've put in all of this effort to come up with the rules of the game. When you play pickup games of sports, it's a different amount of kids every time, or it's a different area, a different space. So you've got to figure it out. What a cool Mm -hmm. thing. And you figure it out together and you negotiate and people come up with different ideas and you have to land on something. And that takes a lot of time and effort. And so if you do that, you're not, you're going to be more careful to not mm-hmm. slam into this kid or hurt that one. Because if they quit, then all of that work you did is out the window right. and, and it's done and over with. So the cool thing about social play is that it is intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. and kids want to continue playing. And so they do their best to figure out those nuances of social interaction. And Kim John Payne says the primary predictor of success and happiness in life, which is a huge statement, Kimberly, like I would never come out and say a statement that was like (laughs) so huge. Like I'm going to tell you what the primary predictor of success and happiness in life is, but he says it's our ability to get along with others. That's Mm. what it is. And so you don't learn that at a desk. You don't learn that when you're doing worksheets. You don't learn that when you're playing a game online because, mm-hmm. you know, so people come in and go and you can play with whoever. You don't learn that stuff unless it's like nitty gritty and you're in the middle of it and you have a lot of time. It takes a long time, I think, to develop our emotional intelligence. And that's what's happening during social play. Oh, that's really good. You know, one thing that was like a revelation is that the outdoors really facilitates multi-ages. I mean, I kind of know this principle, but now that you you put it into words for me, like if we are hosting another family and they have ages of kids that are different than ours, we will entertain outside. There's just something that I know that Mm -hmm. happens when we're outside versus if we were to entertain inside, you would have the kids sort of grouped together and then be separate or, you know, that the older kids would sort of do the things that make them happy. But there's like this engagement that happens when we're outdoors eating, entertaining, and we're just letting the kids all have at it while we, while the grownups get to talk. Like we're like, just let them run. And so we can actually finish a conversation. And so I love that, that, that that's a thing. Okay. Well, that's an interesting point too. I mean, Kimberly, (laughs) because it also facilitates adult social relationships. And I, I do think that that's an important piece to bring up because you know, like life is really busy and we don't have a lot of times for friendships and, and even for our spouses and that type of thing. And, but these things are very important. Like I just read this book called Made for People by Justin Whitmore early. And he was talking Mm -hmm. about, I think it was like the CDC came out with this loneliness epidemic, huge, he like lifted it up. It was like this huge stack of things about how people are really struggling with loneliness. And it's, it's very hard when you have kids, young kids to even have a conversation because they're always interrupting and it's hard to connect. Mm -hmm. But in the situations where you're outdoors and the kids find a space to go play and and they want to have their own little private time. I mean, kids love that. They love mm-hmm. a little fort, a little, I'm going to go behind the bushes and we're going to create something. Then it does give the parents an opportunity, I think, to build relationships with others and, and between themselves. And so it's interesting how facilitating kids' social skills also helps to facilitate our own social relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So a practical question. What are some strategies to help kids get outside and play when conditions are less than ideal? I know you mentioned tolerable, but I'm guessing that our definition of tolerable isn't really, is a a small one. (laughs) 
Well, I think it's tricky. I mean, so Charlotte Mason said to go outside for four to six hours whenever the weather mm-hmm. is tolerable. Okay, that's a really long time. So if you're in an area where it's 115 degrees, I mean, six hours is a really long time. Yeah. Or if you're in an area where it's minus two and there's a wind chill, you know, right. also six hours, four hours. Yeah. So what I learned though from Linda McGurk, who wrote a book called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, which is not completely true. Everybody knows that. But the premise is that we have to really adjust our viewpoint on it, really, Mm -hmm. because there are things that every season offers that are thrilling and exciting that the other seasons don't. So if Mm -hmm. we're talking about, here's been the most interesting thing, Kimberly, is, you know, for a very long time, and really until I read Linda's book, I was grumbling about the winter, just grumbling. I'm annoyed. I can't wait till it's over. You know, oh, we should move. You know, like everyone who lives in the North by February is like, where do we live here? Right. Oh, for sure. Then I read her book and it's like, well, look, like, you know, you can sled and you can build snowmen and you can freeze things, you know, Mm -hmm. and make these cool ice things and hang them from trees and you can ski, which we don't, but you can, you know, it's something that people love to do. Um, You know, you can ski and and you can go on hikes and you can see through the woods because all the leaves are down. So what's been interesting that has happened is that when we're posting what we're doing and we post a little post about it, sometimes people will say, I wish I lived there. Oh, and it's jaw dropping because you're like, I have for years grumbled that I wish I didn't live here. Yes. But people see, they see that each season offers something special that the other ones don't. So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a shift of perspective on a practical level. You got to make sure that you're warm. If you're talking about cold climates and especially with babies and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. So practically speaking, that what the experts say is not to have cotton as your base layer because cotton absorbs your sweat. Everybody mm-hmm. sweats, you're moving, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. even if it's cold out, you're still sweating. And cotton absorbs moisture and it just stays wet. And mm-hmm. it's that wetness is that w- what leads to feeling very, very cold. Okay. So if you can all stay dry, this is going to really extend your outdoor play in the winter. So that means having a base layer that's not cotton. So that could be wool. Uh, and wool mm-hmm. is antimicrobial and you can pretty, you don't have to wash it all the time. Like you could wear it for days and days and days and it would still be fine. And so that absorbs the moisture and holds it so that your skin stays dry. So there's, and it actually produces heat. It's really kind of (laughs) phenomenal. It's a temperature regulator, both in the winter and the summer, but some people are allergic to wool. Uh, Wool can be expensive. Sometimes you can't find it. So polyester does the same thing. It's like just that keeping your base layer dry And then, you know, you layer up and like, we like those balaclavas, which is like just your head sticks out. And then it's like, you know, it goes over your head, like a hat over your ears completely. And then it goes down into your shirt. So it covers your neck and those help. And, you know, just like warm boots, warm socks. And a lot of the things, you know, as we started going outside, I was like shopping at mom to mom sales. And, you know, I had like a, we're buying shirts for a quarter. So this is not, it's not in the budget for everyone. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're shopping around, you buy big, you buy maybe a color that you could pass down from this kid to that kid. And, you know, we've had a lot of that over the years where this kid's wearing that kid's Mm -hmm. last year's boots Mm -hmm. and coat Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we buy three or four sizes too big for the snowsuit and they look kind of funny the first year, but it lasts for four winters. And if it's really hot, and that's on the other end of it, then you're talking about going out in the morning, going out in the evening, doing things around water. Although mm-hmm. 
sometimes in the South, there's alligators and people say their pools <laughs> feel like getting in. I know. People say that getting in their oh pools feels like getting into a bathtub and that you're like swimming in everyone's sweat. I know so I was none like, of oh. that. That is not what it's like here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was always like, well, why are they complaining? Just go swim. And they're like, the water gets so hot. It's disgusting. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. But no one has a perfect climate. And also let's talk about yeah. this. Nature helps us develop grit. Mm-hmm. Like this is, we're not meant, Michael Easter wrote a great book called The Comfort Crisis. Like we're not meant to be in 72 degrees with no bugs. Like Mm -hmm. that's actually not where our bodies thrive. We actually are supposed to have some of these things that help us develop grit. And also they help us to, the extremes help us to love the comfort more. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, okay, if you sit inside where it's warm, that's one thing. But if you've been cold and you go inside where it's warm, that's another thing because mm-hmm. that feels real good. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, wanting a little bit more of those extremes in life instead of having it always be the same. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. All right. Some last words of encouragement for people that want to start moving outside. Okay. So here's the thing. You need three things to okay. go outside and they all start with F so that it's easy to remember. So you need a first aid kit. It's good to have, right? Your kids are going to fall. They're going to scrape themselves. They might get stung by a bee. So you got those little swabs in there. You know, you have some stuff pull out a splinter, whatever. So have your first aid kit, bring some food because if you want to be outside, and this is the thing, you really want to be outside for an extended period. Maybe Mm -hmm. you can't go outside for four hours, but maybe Mm -hmm. you can go out for two and you start to kind of put some time parameters around it because it takes a while for kids to develop how they're going to play. Angela Hanscom, who I talked about before, wrote Balanced and Barefoot. She says it can take kids up to 45 minutes to figure out their play scheme. Well, that's a long time, right? We need to give them that time to figure out who's playing what and what are we doing so that they can actually enjoy it. And so many things that we do in our culture, I think Mm -hmm. are 30 minutes, 45 minutes, we never Mm -hmm. get there. You're going outside for a while, so you want to have food with you, food and water. And if you've got older kids who are resistant, like pack the good food, like bring the good chocolate chip cookies or whatever it is that they like, that's going to help entice them out. Your little ones, you know, like have some fun food out there. And then you need a friend. Mm-hmm. So it's a first aid kit, food and friend. And the friend beyond safety purposes, and I think it's it's good to have a friend just for the sake of safety. You have another set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Just another set of someone else who's aware and who can help, you know, you have little things like, you know, when one kid falls and scrapes their knee, well, then the, you know, the person that you're with can be looking at after the other kids while you're bandaging up or whatever the situation is. But the friend is what brings in that, that play element, both for your kids and yourself. And it gives Mm -hmm. you a little bit of accountability too. But people ask all the time, because we've been doing this for 12 years and we started when our oldest was three and now he's 15. So it's been real neat, Kimberly, to have this experience of finding something that worked back then. And it still works today. Mm -hmm. It still gives us boundaries. It still gives us a spot where we're really building memories in a very busy season. Teenage years are busy. So it's still working. So people are like, well, you know, your kids must love to go outside. Oh, they just love it. And I'm like, they don't. They don't. Their their natural inclination is to play video games. They don't want to go outside. Right. I don't. And truth be told, I don't want to go outside. I like to play the piano. I like inside things, you know. I mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. sit in a cozy chair and read a book. But 
when you have a friend that's coming, then the kids want to go. They want to go every time. They want to see their friends. We're social creatures. Mm -hmm. So as they get older, you know, we're talking about maybe they want to go skateboard together. They want to go shoot hoops up at the local park, whatever that is. But the friends make all the difference. So if you've got little kids, the other person's friends are going to keep your kids occupied. Mm -hmm. And when you have older kids, the other person's kids are going to entice your kids out. So it's such an interesting thing. Like I always love that thing when people are like, you parent with the village, but yeah. like the, the, it's not the other adults that matter. It's really the other kids. Yeah. That they're the MVPs, yeah. you know, they're the ones who are changing the situation because my kids don't care what other adults are there, but if yeah. <laughs> they want, they want those friends. <laughs> so, you know, and you don't need a lot. You need like one or two other families that maybe have a similar view on mm-hmm. it, a similar mm-hmm. stance, similar passion and purpose, which is, you know, I'm trying to give my kids a, a balanced 3D and 2D experience throughout their childhood because it's important. And and then you go adventure with those people. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This conversation was great. Thanks for having me. You can find Jenny at a thousand hours outside.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook as a thousand hours outside. I'll link to all of that, plus where you can find her new book, Until the Streetlights Come On, in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? Besides sharing this podcast with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways that you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. And remember, family culture isn't about perfect, it's about purpose.